We'll go ahead and take a seat, everyone. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Alpine Church. Uh, I do have a quick special announcement before I get going, and that is that there is coffee now. So uh, I apologize, but I will say, if you missed coffee, there's a great opportunity for you to sign up to serve. Just saying, we can, always, we can always use volunteers on the coffee team. So there is coffee, and I won't even be offended if you get up right now and walk out to go get coffee. Uh, also, before we get into this, I, I wanted to just give a quick plug for our upcoming Christmas event, or actually our Christmas service. Hang on, let me turn the, there we go. All right. Come on. You can do it. There it is. All right, Expecting Jesus. This is our brand new series. It's a four-week series that will culminate on Christmas Eve, and the idea behind this series is the Messiah was expected for, for centuries before he showed up, right? And so that was something we were expecting. But throughout Jesus' story, there were so many events that were unexpected. And so that's what we're going to cover for those four weeks, are the unexpected things that happened that took place when Jesus joined us in on this earth. And so we want to invite you, friends and family, to come back for that, that four-week series. It's going to be exciting. We're excited about it. And so we hope you will come and be part of that. Now, we are in the final week of our Anxious for Nothing series. And I, and I hope this has been a good series for you guys. I hope that you have gotten as much out of it as I have. I didn't really think I was an anxious person. Uh, and I, I've learned throughout this series that there, there are things that make me anxious. There are things that, that kind of take hold of my thoughts and, and, and keep them captive and I think about. And, and almost all of them have to do with my wife and my kids. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's, and they're, they're up front, so I, I, can, I can talk about them, right? And so I, I got thinking about, it, like, what are the things that have really got me anxious? And, and it turns out that it is their fault that I am bald and gray. It's all their fault, and I realized that, right? And so uh, there's just so many events that, that have happened, that, and you, anybody who has raised kids knows, like, that there is just some anxiety that comes along with raising kids. And, and so that's, I, I, again, this, this, this series has just been so good for me. It's been fun to prepare and, and, and fun to hear. And so uh, I, I just, I want to say I'm excited to be in Brigham City. This is the first time I've been in this uh, new building to teach. It's not the first time I've been in this building. And, and every time I come here, uh, it's, it's been a few times, I can't help but think how amazing this building would be to play sardines in. I don't know if you guys know what sardines is, right? Sardines, it's, hide, it's like hide and seek. One person goes out and hides, but when you find the person, you hide with them, right? And so the last person to find them is the, is the one who, and so this building is crazy. Like I came here once for, we had our pastor meeting here, and I, I had no idea where anybody was. I got here late because I'm the youth pastor, and that's what I do. I went everywhere in the building. I found all kinds of secret passages. I ended up in the baptismal. I don't know if you guys have been back here. There's like this stairwell that leads to, to I don't know where it goes, but it, it, it's, this building would be amazing for sardines. So uh, even for adults, sardines is fun for us, okay? So uh, this, this, that's what I think about whenever I walk into this building, and, and, and what a blessing this place is. What an amazing uh, blessing that, that God put in, in front of us with this building. Now, I just want to recap real quick before we get into this, because this is the fifth and final week. And so we, we, we kicked off this series, this Anxious for Nothing series, by looking at how we can overcome our anxiety, right? And we, we started with Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, which, just a quick paraphrase, right, is instead of worrying about everything, we should, we should pray about everything, Right? And instead of letting those things control us and consume our thoughts and, 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 and run our lives, instead of doing that, and what that verse is, it's not saying don't worry. That's impossible. Right? There's going to be things that we worry about. There's going to be things that we stress about. And, but what it's saying is don't dwell on that. 
Don't let those things consume you. Instead, give them to God. Take them to, to God in, in prayer. And so that's where we went with week one. And then in the second week, we talked about the control freak anxiety, right? And so if you're a control freak, you, you know who you are. We talked about how to, how to deal with that. Or if you know somebody who's a control freak, like if you're trying to raise the person's hand next to you right now, like you are the control freak, okay? So we, we, we talked about that and what that looks like, how to deal with that when you just have to control everything and you realize that you, you can't. What do you do? And so that we, we turn to God in, in that circumstance as well. And then we talked about what we do when our thoughts are overwhelmed, right? When our thoughts are held captive by these, these negative things going on in our lives and we just keep running them through over and over and over and how we just need to turn those thoughts over to God and replace them with the things that, that he has done in our lives. And then last week, uh, we, we talked about how to deal with the anxiety that comes with the relationships, Right? And so hopefully we gave you guys some good ammunition going into Thursday when you get together with all your family, uh, some who may or may not cause anxiety in your life. Right? Hopefully we, we prepped you for that so you would be ready to deal with, with the, 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 the relational anxiety. And then today we're going to conclude with a, a topic that I think the Bible has quite a bit to say about, and that's our finances. Okay, and specifically today, we're going to talk about when our finances make us anxious. And boy, if this isn't the, the perfect time of year for that message, right? The thing is, most of us are probably already stressed to the max about finances. And now we have to, it's the holiday season, and so we have to worry about getting gifts for our loved ones, right? And if you're planning on doing a turkey dinner for Christmas, that's like a two to three week salary like investment, right? Just on a turkey. And then you have Black Friday, I don't know if you guys did the whole Black Friday thing, right? Like, I don't know what it is about, I, I've never gone out and actually done the shopping on Black Friday morning, but I did retail for many, many years, and so I, I, I know what it's like, and I just have to say, like, you, you Black Friday people, you know who you are. <laughs> Y'all are crazy. You're crazy, right? And here's the thing is, you're in line waiting for the store to open, and everybody's all nice and friendly and, and just sharing a good time, right? And then the door unlocks, and it's like, you guys are werewolves on a full moon, Right? Like all humanity just goes out the window and, and it's every man for themselves, every man, woman, and child for themselves, right? And it was so much worse this year because all of those sale prices were just the price that everything would have been if it wasn't for inflation, right? It's like we weren't even saving money. It, it was crazy. And so maybe like Black Friday isn't the thing that, that is bringing you anxiety. And so let me give you some other reasons to, to be anxious, okay? Let me give you some statistics of, of what's going on in our world. So right now, uh, food is up 11% over the past year, okay? And I, that, this is nationwide. I don't know who's, who's bringing that average down because I guarantee Utah's way higher than 11%, right? Like we were paying way more than 11% more for our food. If you're traveling during the, the, this holiday, uh, airfare is up 43%. If you're planning on heating your home this winter, statistics say that it will cost 58% more than it did last year. 58% more. And that's, that's just the beginning, okay? The average 401k is down 25%. That equates to $34,000 for the average person. $34,000. Gone. The average household credit card debt is $9,000, which is a total of $887 billion. And if you just thought to yourself, like, hey, I'm way above average, Love the positive attitude, but that's not the right place to excel, okay? You gotta bring, bring, that, bring that credit card debt down. So here's, it seems like there are plenty of reasons for us to be anxious. And maybe you're thinking like, well, I wasn't anxious, but I am now. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Pastor Jason, right? But, but don't be. 
don't be, because God's word has a lot to say about anxiety over our finances. So we've been camped out in Philippians chapter 4 throughout this series, and that's where we will be today. So if you have Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open there. We will pick up in verse 11, and here's what Paul has to say to the church in Philippi. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. And so Paul makes this really powerful statement here that he has learned how to be content with whatever he has. He has learned how how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And when we think about Paul's story, right? Paul's story is crazy. He had been shipwrecked multiple times. He's gone hungry. He's been beaten. He's been bitten by poisonous snakes, right? He's writing this letter from prison. And through all of that, he says that he's learned how to be content. So the first thing I want to point out is that, that Paul says he's learned how to be content. That means it didn't come naturally to Paul. So when it doesn't come naturally to us, that's okay, right? We all have to learn how to be content with where we are in life, with the circumstances that we're facing. But that does bring me to the very next verse, which is probably one of the most popular verses and also one of the most misused passages in the Bible, Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is one of those verses that you see on like a magnet or a coffee mug, right? Or you see uh, professional athletes will have it painted on their eyes or on their jersey, right? And, it, and it's kind of that like, that like pump you up, like feel good kind of verse. But here's the thing is when it's taken out of context, which is typically how it's used, it's basically the same thing as saying like, you do you. You do whatever you want. You do whatever makes you happy and God will help you do that. Right? That's, that's basically what it's saying is you can do anything that you want to do and God will help you do that. That's not at all what the verse is saying. That's not at all what, what the verse is saying in the context of, of, of the verse. Like, listen, if you are, if, like, if you capped out at five foot one and you can't make a free throw to save your life, you're not going to make it in the NBA just because you love Jesus. Okay, I'm sorry if that breaks anybody's hearts, and, and no offense to you vertically challenged people. Okay, that's, that's not what this is about, right? But this verse is not about just being able to, like, overcome the impossible, to accomplish some uh, uh, amazing task. That's not at all what this verse is talking about. This verse is actually talking about contentment, about being content. Paul is saying, the reason I can, I can be content with whatever circumstance I find myself in is because I'm going to trust Jesus to provide for what I need in that circumstance. This verse is everything about being content, right? And contentment is such, it's such a powerful antidote to anxiety, especially when it, when, it, when it comes to our finances. And so I want us to ask ourselves something this morning. I want us to ask ourselves, when it, when it comes to our finances, which word would you say more accurately describes your attitude? Contentment or anxiety? And I think if, if, we're, if we're being honest, I think most of us would probably say anxiety, right? Anxiety. And so here's, here's the big thought for, this, for this, this sermon, or the big idea. Financial anxiety comes for all of us. And that's true whether we have too little or too much. Okay, financial anxiety comes for all of us. I think what most of us assume is that it's only people who make about the same amount of money that we make or less that have to deal with, with financial anxiety because we tell ourselves all the time, right, if I, just, if I just made a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more money, then every, everything would be better. 
Everything would start to go my way. But if you look at all the polls and the surveys that they've done that are related to, to finances and anxiety, you see that it affects almost everybody. It affects almost everybody. And so even though financial anxiety does, does come for everyone, I think most of us would be in the camp that, that says we, we have too little. So, so let's start there. And here's what we need to understand. It's that if you have too little, God knows your needs. Okay, if you have too little, God knows your needs. He's completely aware of your situation. He is 100% in the know of what's going on in your life. Nothing is a surprise to him. And God doesn't just know your needs. He says he'll meet your needs. God is going to, to meet your needs. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. He says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And so as we're reading through chapter 4, what we discover is that the church in Philippi had been sending material gifts to Paul while he was in prison. Okay, they had been sending him, him, him things, and we don't, we don't know exactly what it was, right? It could have been money or food or clothing or all of the above. The text doesn't say, but, but, but they were supporting Paul while he was in prison. And then Paul also commends the church in Philippi for financially supporting him while he was a missionary in Thessalonica. Okay, they were supporting him and other missionaries. And maybe you're thinking, like, what does that have to do with, with not having enough? But they didn't. They didn't have enough. They didn't have excess Right? With this money, where it was coming from, they were able to support Paul and the other missionaries when they didn't have excess. Why? How were they able to do that? But Paul, he, he, he commends them for, for being able to support them, and we'll get to, to how they did that. So, and here's the thing is, when they talk about them being poor, we're not talking about like 21st century American poor. Okay, the idea of poverty in the Bible is way different. And here's, I, like, I get it. Some of us are struggling more than others, okay? And that's, that's, that's reality. Some of us are struggling more than others, but we shouldn't let that cause anxiety in our life. That shouldn't be what is consuming us, okay? Because here's, here's the truth. If you have a garage, your car has a better home than most of the world's population. Your garage. Right? If you've had a meal, at least one meal every day this week, then you are far above millions and millions and millions of people. If you have more clothes than, than what you're wearing right now, like you guys, you guys get the point, right? You understand where I'm going with this. Like, and, and, and please hear me. I'm not saying that like, things aren't really that hard. Like You just need to suck it up. <laughs> that's, that's not at all what I'm saying. Like, I, I know that there are some of us who are genuinely struggling. What I'm saying, what the Bible is saying, is that should not be the cause of our anxiety. That shouldn't be where we dwell. And Paul, he's, he's reminding the Philippians here, like who are truly in, in a dire situation, that, that God would supply all of their needs. God is going to supply all of their needs. And this promise to the Philippians, it's, it's pretty interesting because it's very broad, but it's also very, very restricting, right? It's broad in the sense that he says, God will provide all of your needs. So that, that's the broad part, all of your needs. But he's going to provide all of your what? Needs. Your needs. There's nothing in here in, in God's promise that says anything about them being healthy or, or wealthy, right? There's, there's nothing in, in here, God's promise, about, uh, about giving you what you want, right? None of that is part of, of God's promise. It's all about he's going to provide our needs. And listen, it still would have been such an encouragement for the Philippians to hear that. And it should be, it should be for us as well. And Paul's not the only one in the New Testament who reminds us that God knows and cares about our needs. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? 
What will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And it's like, really? Like, don't worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to drink? Like, and when I think about what, what it must have been like to be a first century Christian, like, I feel like those would have been, like, okay things to worry about. And so I can't even imagine what Jesus would say about some of the material things that we worry about today. But Jesus, he, he, he reminds them, or he tells them that these, these are the things that, that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Okay, which reminds me of week three, right? Ruminating and thinking about those things. That's all they're doing is, is, is thinking about money. And God wants to free you from that. God wants to free you from that. As a believer, we're invited to experience freedom from anxiety and, and, and over material things. Okay? As a follower of, of Jesus, we've already experienced, we've already firsthand seen our greatest need met. God provided for us a Savior. God pro- provided for us, he, he met our need when he rescued us from, from sin and death by sending Jesus to pay the debt that we owed. And so if God is willing to meet that need, then for sure he's going to meet the other needs that we have in our life. The smaller needs that don't even compare to the need he's already met. And right before Jesus told his listeners not to worry about these things, he reminded them of, of God's care for creation. How God cares for his, his, the things that weren't created in his image, so how much more is he going to care for the things that are created in his image? Matthew 6, 28 says, And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or, or make their clothing, and yet Solomon in all his glory w- wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the wildfire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. If God's going to take spe- such special care of something that, that is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more is God going to take care of you? And Jesus says the, the lilies of the field, they don't, they don't work, they don't, they don't make their own clothing. And this doesn't, like he's not saying that we're not supposed to work, okay? There's plenty of other places in the Bible, like scripture is very clear that, that hard work is, is a good thing. Okay, that's a good ethic to have. We are supposed to work. But the answer to not being anxious about money isn't, isn't laziness. It's faith. It's faith. That's actually not where verse 30 ends. At the very end of verse 30, Jesus asks his listeners, why do you have so little faith? Why do you have so little faith? I think that sometimes we, we forget how hurtful this is towards God. Right? And I, and I think about... Uh, this is, this is specifically for those of us who have kids, right? I think about when you're, when you're raising your children, right, and they're young, and you're trying to get them to, to do something, right? Like just, like, just jump off the couch, right? Or, or jump into the pool off the side of the pool, right? I'll catch you. I, I, won't, I won't let you go. Just, just trust me. I've got you, right? And the first lesson they learn is mom is way more trustworthy than dad, right? Because we're, we're going to let them fall in the first time, right? But, that, but we do that. And then here's the thing. Like, they get older, and they continue to go against what you have taught them. They continue to make bad decisions, right? But they just get, they just get more and more important. They're bigger decisions. And that's, that's a little bit hurtful. 
as a parent, right? You're like, why didn't, why didn't you listen to what I told you? I warned you about doing that. I warned you what this would do to your life. And yet you still went ahead. Like, why didn't you listen to me? Why didn't you trust me? And yet we, we do the same thing to God. God who is perfect. God who has never let us down. Right? And we say, we're like, God, I, I trust you with this area of my life, but, but this thing, this over here, not, not so much. And he's telling us to trust him, and, and we don't, and so we do that, and I, and I think we just forget how, how hurtful that is towards a parent. And for most of us, like, that's, that's not really the issue. It's not really the trust issue. For most of us, it, 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 it's, more, it's more about this point. If you have too much, you're probably still anxious. <laughs> Even if you have too much, right? It's not just about those of us who would say, I don't have enough. Even those of us who would say, I have too much, there is still an anxiety that comes along with that. And I, I know that most of us wouldn't say we have too much, right? I, I understand that you probably, probably don't feel like you have too much. I know I don't feel that way all the time. But when we consider what our basic needs really are, and we look at what people around the world have, then I think that most of us would, would probably be willing, would be willing to admit that we have so much more than we need. We have so much more than we need. And in spite of that, we still deal with anxiety over money and material things. And so I want to look at a passage that I think can challenge every single one of us when it, when it comes to anxiety with our finances. And this is in Proverbs. It says, oh God, I, I, beg you, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may still and thus insult God's holy name. And so the, the writer here, he asks God to help him to never tell a lie, okay, which is great. I think we can all get on board with that. And then he gets to the money part and he says, he says give me neither poverty nor riches. And I think at first we look at this and I'm like, well, why would you ever pray to not be wealthy? <laughs> Why would you ever pray to, to not have more money? Because I think all of us would, would probably say like, oh, if I, had so, like if I just had a ton of money, imagine how much good I could do for others. Yeah, would you? Would you? And I'm sure there's some of you in this room who would. That's exactly what you would do with the money. And some of us would, would be some help. But how many of us would, would, would take that money and use it on ourselves? And so I think this is such a courageous prayer to, to, to pray because, I, I mean, there have been times in my life where I just, I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how we are going to make it to the next month, right, waiting for the next paycheck. I wasn't sure how that, how that was going to all work out. And in the moment, for the, like, there was definitely anxiety. There's definitely stress that comes along with that. But then looking back, right, the whole hindsight is twenty twenty thing, like looking back, I could see what God was doing. I could see God working through that financial situation, and then, I, and then I can see how, oh, you're right, God, I should have just trusted you with that. But in the moment, I wasn't. In the moment, I'm thinking, how can I fix this? What can I do? These are good learning moments when we get to look back and, and learn a lesson and see what God was actually doing in our life when we thought we were in the midst of the fire. And if we jump back here into, into Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus addresses money again in verse 24. And he says this, he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. 
Now, this is a pretty popular verse, right? We, we hear this one quite a bit, but it's, but it's some pretty sobering truth. You cannot serve God if you are enslaved to money. And I, th- I think there's, there's a few reasons for that, right? First, if you're enslaved to money, then it's, it's an idol in your life. It means that the money holds a higher position of importance in your life than God does. And Jesus came to set the captives free. And one of those things he came to set us free from, he wants us to be free from materialism. Second, if you're enslaved to money, that's, that's what dominates your thoughts. That's what dominates your thoughts, like you are unable to focus on the things of God and the promptings that he's giving you in his life because all you're thinking about is money. You're thinking about how to get more money. You're thinking about how to stretch the money that you have so that you can continue to live the lifestyle that you've become accustomed to. That's all you think about is money. And here's what's crazy. Like as amazing as the brain is, research has shown that we can still only focus on one thing, one thing at a time, right? We can still only have concentrated, focused thoughts on one thing at a time. So if you're stuck thinking about money and worldly things, there's no room for God. There's no room for God in what he's doing in your life. So I don't want to put anybody on the spot. I don't want to, I don't want to shame anybody, but I want you guys to think about this past week. Okay, during this past week, how often were your thoughts centered around money or the lack thereof or debt or things? And, and then contrast that with how, how, how often... How does that stack up with the amount of time that your thoughts were centered on God and his goodness and his purpose in your life? And really think about that. Like, where are your thoughts? Where is your energy being spent? Paul warned Timothy, his, his protege, he warned him about the dangers of, of longing for riches. First Timothy 6 says, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. There's already a lot of negative things happening in this verse. Then it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many arrows. Now, it's important that we pay attention to what this passage says and what it doesn't say, okay? I mean, that's always important to do when we're reading the Bible, but this, this passage specifically, it's important to pay attention to that because what it doesn't say is that riches are evil. It doesn't say that, that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that people with money have wandered from the faith. Okay, that's not, that's not what it says. In fact, all these verses, when they talk about money, it's, it, they talk about our, our, our heart's attitude towards the money because money in and of itself isn't good or bad. Right? Money isn't good or, or, or bad, so it's all about our heart towards the money. It says people who long to be rich fall into temptation. If you are longing for something, if you are longing for something that you don't already have, then you are not content with what God has given you. It says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You guys, you look out at this this world and it is crazy. It's crazy what people will do for that almighty dollar. I don't know if you've looked at any recent numbers, but... Human trafficking is a $150 billion a year business worldwide. $150 billion. 
The numbers for the drug trade, just in the, in the United States alone, there, there's, there's a few different reports, but almost all of them are over $100 billion a year. The evils in this world are driven by greed, driven by that need for more money. And then Paul, even in verse 10, he talks specifically about Christians who have wandered from the true faith, right? Be, be, because they, they, they've craved money. And what was the result? He says that they pierced themselves with many, many sorrows. The irony here is that there's no amount of money that can bring true satisfaction. There is no amount of money, no matter what the price tag, no matter how much and no matter how many zeros you put on that thing, there is no amount of money that can bring actual satisfaction. See, they were pierced with many sorrows because they were pursuing something that can never bring peace. It can never bring the fulfillment that a relationship with, with Jesus can bring. They, they traded in the one thing that would give them the true joy and, and peace that they were craving. They traded the one thing in that would give them that for a false idol. Think of all the, all the professional athletes, all the entertainers, just, just famous people throughout the years that, that from the outside looking in, they seem to have it all. Right? From the outside looking in, they said they had money, they had power, they had fame, they had everything going for them, and then they end up taking their own life. Or they fall into some, some form of addiction, right? It looks like they have everything, but they're not content. They still need more. Still, there's something missing in that equation. Even though they have everything that the world says they should have, everything that the world says, here's what you need to be successful they have all of that, and yet something is still missing. So how do, we, how do we overcome that? How do we not become like that? And I think we can pray that prayer, that prayer, right? We can certainly ask God to help us to crave Him more than we crave money. We can take our thoughts captive, right? When we're having anxiety, when we're worrying about our finances, we're worrying about money, we can take our thoughts captive and, and turn those things towards God. But the Bible gives us one more practical application, and that's Generosity. See, generosity releases the grip of money on your heart. And that's true whether you would say you have too little or, or too much. Generosity releases the, the grip on your heart. And again, it's not about the money itself, right? It's about the attitude that we have towards money. Like once we have the right perspective, once we understand that it's really God's money and we're just managing it, like that changes everything. Once we understand that it wasn't ours to begin with, like it's just God's money, it doesn't, it doesn't really belong to me, that starts to, to minimize the stress that comes along with that. It starts to minimize the anxiety that, that comes along with that. And we want to be good stewards, right? We want to be responsible with those things, but once we understand that like it's, it's, not, it's not ours, and again, that doesn't matter whether we have a lot or we have a little, it's still God's money. 2 Corinthians, this is, this is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 8, verse 1, 2. He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. So Philippi is in Macedonia, right? And as, as Paul, he's, he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, he's doing a little bragging on the Philippians. Right, he's, he's bragging them up a little bit because well, in the verse Paul, he first he recognizes that it's, that it's in God's kindness, like it's God's kindness that the churches in Macedonia are doing this because remember, it's, it's God's money. Right? The Philippians were, were just being good stewards of it, but Paul says they were being tested by many troubles and they were very poor. 
Again, very poor looks way different in the Bible than it, than it does for us, okay? So they, they, like they were literally barely surviving, and in spite of that, they were still filled with abundant joy. I've seen this firsthand in, in Haiti. I've, I've been to Haiti a few times. We actually partner uh, here at Alpine Church. We partner with a ministry in Haiti uh, called UCI. It's United Christians International. And <laughs> they have nothing. They have nothing, and yet they are some of the happiest most joyful people I have ever met because they know Jesus. And it's crazy because you fly into the, the, the uh, capital city and it's, it feels dark. It just feels dark. And everybody's looking at you, right? And, and they don't want you there. And, and then, and then you, you, you start to travel and it's, it's, it's like 40 miles, but it's a five-hour drive to get to this place where, where UCI is. And immediately you enter into this area where UCI has impacted the community. And it changes like that. You're driving and all of a sudden it just feels like you feel this weight lifted off you and, and you look and everybody's smiling and everybody's happy to see you. They have no clothes. They eat maybe once every three days. And they have joy. It's crazy. That is so much different than what we see here in America. And so I've experienced what, what Paul's talking about here, that there's this community that they don't have anything, and yet they're willing to give everything they have. They're willing to give everything they have. That abundant joy overflowed into this rich generosity, and they financially were able to support Paul and other missionaries. There's also a lesson in here for, for those of us on the receiving end of these gifts. Okay, because God uses people to demonstrate his goodness and his provisions and his generosity. Like when we're praying to God to meet our needs, we have to remember that sometimes he's going to use people to meet those needs. Sometimes he's going to send somebody you know, maybe even somebody you don't know, to meet those needs. And I get how hard that can be. I'm a prideful person by nature. Like That's the work that God is doing in my life, but I, I, I'm a prideful person, and so I get how hard that can be. But when God promised to meet our needs, he, he never promised how he would do that. And so when you reject help from someone, it may not, you may not only be hindering God trying to help you, but you're also stopping that person from, from blessing you and being blessed in return. And again, I, like asking for help, I get it. Like I remember a time I had to go to my dad and ask for money. <laughs> like he had instilled certain values in me. And my dad was an incredibly hard worker. And that's something that has definitely not come natural to me. But my dad raised me to be a protector and a provider of my family. And so here I am. I, 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 I have a home. I have a career. I, I, have, I have a wife. I have responsibilities. And because of the choices I made, because of things we've done, like I... I'm having to go ask my dad who has already raised me and given me money, right, and supported all my bad habits and bad decisions growing up, and now I have to go ask for, for something else when I'm an adult. I get it. I get how hard that can be. And, and praise God that my dad was always so loving and gracious in this area, and yet I still feared judgment for my failure. It's hard. It's hard to let down our pride wall sometimes. But Luke 6, 38 says this. It says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So as Christians, we don't, we don't give to get. Okay, at least we shouldn't. 
We don't, we don't, we don't give to get, but there is this, this reaping and sowing principle that's talked about all throughout Scripture. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, it says, it says give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And that is so true, right? Like there's something refreshing when we bless others, right? There's something that just feels good about it, that feels right. And it's not, it's not, the, it's not the look at me, look what I did kind of feeling, right? It's just that there's a something that feels right about doing something for somebody else that you know they're not going to pay you back right? Like they didn't earn it. They don't deserve it. Like you're just doing it out of the goodness of your heart. There's something that feels so right about that. And it's because we know we're storing up treasures in heaven. We know we're storing up treasures in heaven when we are blessing others. And in the context of of Luke 6 here, like Jesus isn't just talking about material things. He's talking about mercy. He's talking about forgiveness. He's talking about compassion. We are called to give all of those things. And then we're called to give those things again. And again, and to keep giving and giving and giving, never fearing that at the end we're going to come up short. That's what we're called to do as believers in Christ. We are called to change lives. And I want to close out, I want to wrap this up just by, by going back to that first verse, to Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Paul says this, he says, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So my prayer is is, is as a church family that we can experience that in our lives, that we would understand that, that we would know how to be content in every situation, and the way that we do that is by trusting in God when he says he will meet our needs. And we can trust in Jesus for everything, no matter what the situation is. That changes everything. That will change everything. And that will relieve the anxiety that comes along with our finances. And it will give us a peace and a joy that will change who we are. It will change everything about us, the way we look, the way we interact, the way, the way, we, the way we treat people. And when people see that behavior, it's something that they are going to want to know more about. And it gives us an opportunity to tell them what Jesus did for them. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you that you are a generous God. God, I know that in this room, there, there are all, all different kinds of walks of life here, God. There, there are all kinds of different financial backgrounds and, 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 and socioeconomic statuses, God, and, and, and I love that you are a God to every one of us and that you meet every single one of us right where we're at. So God, I pray for, for those, those of us who would say, I don't have enough. I pray that we would trust you. God, I pray that, you, that we would understand that you are a God who provides and that you will provide what we need. I pray that we can lean into you. I pray that we can take control of our thoughts, God, and that we can know that you are working even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, God, that we can know you are there. I pray for those of us who would say, yeah, I, 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 have, I have enough. I have a lot. I pray that you would, you would convict us with, with generosity, God. I pray that you would convict us with humility. I pray that we can be in a place where we, we understand that because you have blessed us with more than enough, God, that we are to use that to bless others. God, especially during, during this holiday season, God, where there's just so much stress and anxiety that comes from things outside of finances. 
as we start to think about the just sickness and the loss of loved ones, God, and, 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 and all the things that are going on in the world, God, and the attacks on, on our kids, God, and, and just everything that is happening right now, there is so much to be stressed about, God. There is so much that could be causing anxiety, and yet you're there through all of it, and you're in control. God, you are sovereign over all of it. So I pray that, that, God, our trust can lie in you. God, I pray that we can stop looking to ourselves to fix everything. And I pray that we can look to the one who created everything. So God, thank you for, for who you are. Thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.